This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to the Lung Science Podcast. My name is Pat Belvich, and I'm an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Illinois in Chicago. With me today to discuss programmatic grants for the established investigator is Dr. Stephen Dudek, professor of medicine and division chief here at UIC. Thank you for joining us, Steve. I'm happy to be here, Pat. So Steve, as you know, I'm a junior faculty in the second year of my K-08, but I'm already looking forward to my future career development. Previous podcasts in this series have discussed topics such as the K-R transition and the early career R01. But I know uh, large institutional and program-themed grant mechanisms are also important. So today I was wondering if we could discuss the development of such proposals and uh, collect some information on how that process um, is undertaken. I think that's a, that's a very interesting topic and one that can be, can be uh, rather complicated in terms of that transition. You know, there's sort of a natural uh, progression when you go from fellowship and you're perhaps on a, a T32 or an F32 training grant and then um, transitioning to the K award to an um, independent R01 level funding. Um, that pathway is pretty well established, at least in terms of the sequence. Um, but once you reach that level, uh, you know, the next stage of, of your research uh, um, development also often involves participating in or even organizing these larger programmatic grants that, that we're talking about a bit t- today. Uh, and these can be a bit daunting at first, given their scope um, and uh, the size of, of, of what we're talking about. Um, I can remember when uh, my first exposure, uh, my first real exposure to these type of things, was back when I was a, uh, transitioning from uh, T32 to, to my K08. Um, and this was when I was uh, at, at Johns Hopkins, where, where my mentor, Skip Garcia, was, was the pulmonary division chief. And, and uh, I distinctly remember uh, Skip putting together this very large SCORE grant, which the NIH was sponsoring, the Specialized Center of Clinically Oriented Research, um, which was sort of uh, a PP program project grants focused on, on a lot of clinically oriented research. Uh, and it was an enormous undertaking. There were six huge projects, multiple cores, um, literally dozens of investigators involved. And from my own junior perspective at that time, uh, I remember the night before it was due, my, my job was helping to collate five different paper copies of this thing together, and it had you know, just hundreds and hundreds of pages. Um, so that was my first sort of perspective of really what the, the scope is. Thankfully, these days, we don't have to put together paper copies of, of these things, but still... The, Wonders of word processing. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, 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 but still, the, the, uh, the massive scope of it really is something that can be very daunting. So uh, I was uh, privileged and lucky enough to work with, with Skip and his group. Um, uh, subsequently, that score was, was funded in acute lung injury, and then uh, we also uh, successfully competed for uh, a program project grant. My transition to uh, increased participation there when I was a junior faculty member, um, just uh, just got my first R01 was to be uh, a co-PI on a project for the PPG. So I learned uh, kind of an additional stage of how to write projects, not just for an individual focused project, but one that that uh, really helps synergize with the other investigators in these in these large programmatic um, um, group 
uh, activities. And, and uh, since then, again, I've been privileged to work with a number of investigators on, on these large programmatic grants. Um, for example, Dr. Natarajan here at, at UIC um, was successfully led another program project grant that, that I was a project leader. Um, in addition, other kind of larger programmatic grants for, uh, such as T32 training grants. Um, since I've been here at UIC, I've, uh, I've been able to work with uh, uh, a number of people who are really skilled and, and, and uh, were great mentors in putting together the, these large training grants, including John Chrisman um, and Patricia Finn, who's our, who's our department chair. And I think the general principles that we're, that we're going to talk about apply to, to all of these larger grants where um, collaboration and a synergistic theme are incredibly important. So, Steve, I think you've mentioned a couple times already the, the scope and the sheer size of these, you know, very large grants with many different investigators. Um, I'm wondering just if you could speak a little to the, the timeline involved in these grants uh, and how that is different and I assume much longer um, than an individual R01 or K grant. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's one of the key factors is, is uh, uh, making sure that you... you start soon enough that you have enough time to put these things together. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, it, it, it's one of the things that I'm, I'm not uh, the best at, which is uh, doing things far ahead of time. Uh, but with these kind of grants, you, you just really have to. Think, uh, something like a PPG, uh, with the efforts that we've been involved in, uh, we've, we've begun having serious meetings a uh, year and a half ahead of time before the initial submission date. And about a year ahead is when we really hone down on, onto the specific projects to be involved so that you have enough time to develop them and, uh, and put the projects together. So in terms of just a general timeline for, for a program project grant, for example, and I assume uh, this is similar for what might happen with other large multiple, uh, uh, multiple investigator grants like, uh, for example, PCORI grants, Patient-Centered uh, Outcome Research Institute grants. Uh, all these things take an enormous amount of time. You have to get people together. Um, and uh, for our PPG experience, for example, about a year and a half, we, there, the, the various people who are interested in the topic at hand would get together. Uh, we'd pitch different project ideas, try to come up with a theme and see how it would all fit together. And during this whole time, obviously, new data is coming in, science is advancing, there's sort of uh, lots of exciting things. There's always many more you know, good ideas and, and, and uh, um, exciting things to work on than you, can, than you can fit, even within the scope of one of these large projects. But within about a year ahead of time, I think that that's really when you have to narrow down to maybe, maybe trying to decide between one or two extra projects. But, for the most part, I think you have, by that time, if you don't have a major theme and you don't have the, the team put together in terms of who's going to be a project leaders, who's going to run the various cores involved, uh, then you're, you're behind the eight ball on, on, on a PPG. So that timeline is, is incredibly important. Certainly, it sounds like uh, quite the undertaking. Um, you've alluded to your, your previous experience and the, the mentors you've had in this process, and I just wondered if you could touch a little bit on... Um, the importance of, of working with people who have already submitted these grants in the past, um, I get the sense that this is something you really you need to have a, a wealth of experience in, and it's hard for somebody who is maybe more junior or even in the middle of their career to kind of go in and develop these grants um, of their own uh, volition. Yeah, I think that that uh, it is invaluable to, to discuss these types of efforts with people who have been there before. I mean, that's a general principle that um, probably applies to all aspects of, of academic life. Um, but in particular, when you're talking about 
these larger efforts where, where it is, um, you know, it's just not enough to have some good scientific ideas and some good data. When you're trying to put together a programmatic project, there needs to be some synergistic uh, interaction and uh, the, the sum uh, needs to be greater than the individual parts. Because if, if essentially what you're cobbling together is, is just several different R01s that could stand on their own, then you don't need a program project grant. Or, or similarly, if you have a, um, a T32 uh, training proposal that you're putting together, if there's not a unifying theme uh, or, or some um, environment that will benefit from, from these people working together in terms of training uh, uh, the next generation, uh, then you might as well just submit them as individual F32s. So that it's really important to talk with people who have been there, done that. Uh, who can help you put things together? I mean, you know, Skip Garcia is a master at, at uh, um, uh, uh, in terms of coming up with visionary ways of, of putting together uh, uh, new new science in in, in ways that maybe uh, at first blush you wouldn't think about. That, but but I think that that's an important part of this is to have that mentorship to guide you through how to how to put things together. Uh, in a way that's greater than its individual parts. So, so absolutely, it's very important to talk to, to people who have experience. And I would add to that, you know, as part of this process, it's, it's incredibly valuable and actually essentially required that you talk to the, uh, the NIH staff when you're putting together uh, PPGs or larger T32s and training grants. Um, from a practical standpoint, you need permission to submit them. Um, you have to write for PPG, you have to write the, the uh, various uh, officers at the NIH, uh, describe the the overview of your pro your program, uh, what you want to accomplish, who's going to be involved, uh, and then you're in order to get permission to submit those types of things. And the same thing uh, for a larger T32, so that I believe that ones that are going to have budgets more than $500,000 a year, for example, you need to have permission just to submit those things. So it's very important to talk to the United staff um, you know, just as a practical step, but more importantly in terms of getting uh, a successful grant proposal put together is those interactions with the staff are very valuable to, to give you insights into um, priorities for the different institutes at the NIH uh, or, or the funding body that you're applying to, uh, as well as, as uh, practical tips ter in terms of scope, budget, the kinds of things they're looking for that, that uh, uh, really will help you put together a competitive proposal. And I think another thing you've you've kind of mentioned uh, or introduced earlier is is how these these large grants really are not a collection of individual um, investigators uh, on their own. They really are supposed to be more collaborative in nature, um, and under that they should have kind of this unifying theme. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you go about organizing that sort of a of a structure for a grant. The underlying uh, theme is is very important in terms of helping to um, structure the grant, as you said, um, and, and focus um, um, how individual projects will, will, will move forward. Um, but I think as important, or perhaps even more importantly, is that that theme really outlines kind of the vision of where you, you, you expect the science and research to go. In other words, um, that underlying theme um, really should be a, a springboard in, in a vision, as I said, for, for what at the end of this time period, five years of a PPG or the, or the T32, PCORI, whatever the large grant is that you're working on, um, the leap forward that you should be taking. Whatever funding body that you're, you're appealing to is, is going to need to invest a, a large amount of resources for these big grants. Um, and in order to 
justify that expense and more importantly to, to uh, use these as vehicles to really move the field forward, um, that theme will be your vision of, of what you want to accomplish. And that's really the, uh, you know, a very exciting and fun part of this uh, because you, you can, with these kind of resources assembled, what you put together in, this, in, in these uh, large programs, you can, you can do some really exciting things. That's, that's the reason for having these vehicles. Um, otherwise, again, they could be all individual R1s. So you can put together these projects that intersect with each other, that are able to use each other's resources and expertise, uh, supported by valuable cores, and we'll talk a little bit more about structure here in a few, specific structure in a few minutes, um, that can result in these, these major, major leap forwards. But it's, it's very important that that theme comes through throughout the, the, uh, the, uh, the application, the proposal, and the work you do once it's funded. I mean, that theme has to be from the beginning of the, the overview abstract um, to the introduction of how these all, all the different pieces move together to each individual, uh, each individual project and core should describe within it how it's going to interact with all the others. Uh, so you can see how that takes a lot of discussion, a lot of planning, this long timeline we're talking about. Um, and uh, it can be stressful to try to figure out how to make all, put that all together. You know, sometimes it's like herding cats when you've got a lot of strong personalities in rooms. A lot of people have great ideas, but, but you have to keep kind of circling it back to the main theme and the main goal because that's when these programs work best and when they really move things forward is when they are focused on that underlying goal. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that's obviously a very important part. So I've heard you mention the, the concept of these um, projects and then cores. Um, you know, I kind of have, have a sense of how a project works. I feel like that's kind of a, a basis of a, of it could be an individual grant. It's a, uh, an idea and kind of how you're going to proceed um, investigating that. Could you talk a little about the kind of the difference between the projects and then a, a core and how a core uh, group may work into various different projects, perhaps? Yeah, I think one, one um, sort of next level of, of scientific support that you get out of a, a PPG um, is, is the opportunity to, to incorporate these core um, resources that really help uh, advance all the work. And what I mean by that is uh, the majority of the time uh, you're going to be assisted by uh, investigators who have specific expertise in, in an area, um, usually some cutting-edge area of science that moving, is moving forward very quickly, that can serve all the individual projects. So essentially what you get um, is individual projects that um, are, are able to, to use these resources in a coordinated way to move the theme forward. So some specific examples. Um, every one of these projects I've ever been involved with has had a very strong and robust administrative core to start with. With all these investigators, with different projects, large budgets, many things moving on. Sometimes, you know, often investigators are not all in the same facility, so that needs to be coordinated. Uh, a strong administrative uh, group to help um, um, try to integrate all that is incredibly vital. Uh, so, depending on the size and the scope of what's happening, you may have at least one or several administrators who, the majority or all their time, is focused on this particular program. And, and that really is, is uh, incredibly helpful for doing all of the administrative things that, that are essential to getting, to getting research done. And I imagine that starts right at the application level as well. Oh, absolutely. Helping to put together, you know, these days, again, you don't have to collate 
hundreds of patients by hand, papers by hand, uh, or have your fellows do that, which, is, which has happened in the past. But, but uh, certainly, the, uh, uh, um, just trying to get all the, the files put together, accumulating everybody's bio sketches and, and all the, the budgets and all those sorts of things is an enormous task. So, um, you know, we talked earlier about how it's important to, to either have involved with or discuss with mentors who've done this before. Skilled and experienced administrators who, are, who, who have worked with these kinds of large programs are, are invaluable as well. And then cores obviously will differ depending on the project that you're working on, um, but uh, you know these days you may have a CRISPR core or you may have a core that does single cell um, omics, whether it's genomics or proteomics or metabolomics. Um, you know, that, but th what that allows is the integration and funding for um, specialized cores that can serve uh, each of the individual projects in ways that, that would not be possible within the budget of an individual R01, for example. You know, you just would not have the budget to, to do all these sorts of things. In our, in our projects, we almost always have a, um, an animal core because we mm -hmm. do so many small animal models of, of lung injury and other, other pulmonary diseases. And having that centralized in a way uh, that can um, standardize, for example, the models across the different projects so that everybody's doing the injury models the same way or measuring the outcomes in the same way. That also helps give you a, a, a uh, uh, precision and, and reproducibility that I think is, is valuable. So, so these cores serve a number of different um, um, uh, roles that, that are vital to, to, again, allowing the investigators to take that theme and synergistic move forward in a way that is above and beyond what what uh, you could do with individual R1s. And, and to, a, to a similar extent, although there's not individual cores, with uh, T32s or large training grants, for example, um, the administration is incredibly important in coordinating uh, trainees across multiple laboratories or different research uh, programs, tracking all of them. Uh, for those of you involved in T32s, you know it's an enormous undertaking just in terms of, of trying to uh, put together, for example, every potential mentor's trainee and data on that person. And, and not only are you, are you looking at the mentors and their success or the individual trainees you've had in the program previously and their success, you're also tracking generations of, all right, this mentor trained this person, what's this person doing now? Um, and so over time, the, the T32 um, uh, paperwork becomes enormous just to, to, tr to try to put together the effects of, of uh, the mentorship programs that you've had. Um, so administration and, and uh, uh, core facilities are, uh, are an integral part of, of these large programmatic grants. And to a lesser extent, I haven't, we haven't talked much yet about this, but, but I think some of these principles are also uh, applicable to, to large multi-PI uh, multi grants, you know, which are, are um, you know, there are more and more of these being submitted and funded these days. Mm -hmm. uh, though they don't have separate cores in general, but I think that you know the principles of, of uh, kind of the timeline needed, mentorship to do the collaborative interactions, having a theme of how the, the multiple PIs will work together, um, and, and tracking that moving forward, um, all those things apply as well, which I think are, are uh, uh, can be useful when, when you reach that stage of, of your research career. Sure. Um, it, it sounds like we, you know we've talked a lot about the organization and kind of the individual components of these really large grants. Um, I can imagine that requires a lot of communication and a lot of uh, discussion, you know, much more than just the typical lab meeting. 
And I know that you know many of these grants are not housed within a single institution. They're actually multi-institution grants as well. Um, do you have kind of a, a strategy or idea of how to make that, that communication and coordination between so many different groups uh, effective? That's another, I keep saying things are key or essential, but the, the, all the things we're talking about today really are you know, incredibly important. And, and so yeah, this is another invaluable thing. Uh, um, in general, for these types of things, I don't think you can communicate too much. I think it's almost impossible to over-communicate. We all have very busy lives and many things going on, and um, especially when people aren't just down the hall in the lab next to you, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to go days, weeks, even months sometimes without communicating. So these work well, from my experience and, and what I've seen and with talking with others, when there are very well-defined and highly structured interactions that occur. You know, this is in addition and to supplement the casual daily conversations that are, you know, make science fun, just talking to somebody down the hallway or, or chatting outside your office. Um, but those kind of conversations, uh, you know, don't happen on a regular schedule necessarily. And as you mentioned, often there are people in different, um, different buildings or not just down the hallway or even, you know, different institutions. They may not even be in the same country at this point. So having highly structured and uh, recurrent interactions are, are very important. So um, I've been involved in, in a couple of, of uh, large programmatic grants where, where either the, the home base was in another institution or, or some of the uh, projects were housed in another institution. And uh, you know, these days it's, it's very easy to have teleconferences and, and keep in touch. Um, so I think that that needs to happen, frankly, with these grants on, on, uh, uh, on a monthly basis. And that's that's what we've attempted to do now when people get busy or certain deadlines come up you know they've canceled here and there but for the most part some sort of monthly check-in is important and then, and then quarterly um, you know larger days uh, for our our PPGs we've um, we usually attempted to have an annual retreat where everyone gets together in the same place and kind of, and uh, um, uh, reviews the progress sees how things are interacting re reshuffles in, in terms of the priorities for the upcoming year uh, that's also an excellent time to bring it most, uh, I forgot to mention earlier, another important part of the structure and that can really help um, both organize and provide feedback of ongoing projects is to have uh, uh, external advisory committees. You know, for, for, uh, we've had those for the PPGs, T32s, um, and these are these people not, not involved, but obviously those who are, are very experienced in, in running these in their own institution or, or participating in them in some way. Almost kind of independent reviewers, yeah, in a way. exactly, exactly. And you have these committees that uh, have four, five, six people who are experienced in that way, and and um, you know they can obviously be very helpful when you're putting the project together to review um, the structure, give you input, guidance, and feedback before it gets to the reviewers. Um, but just as important is once it's funded and you're going along uh, to to keep those people involved and give you you constant feedback. So that annual retreat that I was talking about, for example, is a good time to bring in one or two, have them physically there, um, review the pro all the projects and cores and, and uh, progress you've made in the preceding uh, year and discuss kind of where uh, perhaps things can be improved or move forward. And, um, and, and again, obviously silence is always advancing in really exciting ways and a year is a long time in terms of the number of papers and things that have come out and, and um, those outside advisors can, can provide some really good ideas as well about, hey, maybe you want to 
kind of try this or, or new perspectives exactly so that's that's another layer of the structure here that is very important and I, I I'm uh, I'm glad that uh, we brought it up at this time because I think that that's an essential part for making these things very successful great uh, Steve we've been talking a lot about um, NIH grant uh, mechanisms primarily with the T32 training grants and PPG uh, large project grants. I heard you mention PCORI uh, a couple times and I'm wondering if uh, you could talk a little bit about kind of some of these other mechanisms that are available that still offer this big collaborative um, uh, environment uh, to, to, to conduct science. Yes, I've, I've not um personally been involved in, in uh, putting together PCORI or other uh, uh, patient center outcome research type type of program. Um, at our institution here, we have, you know, within our division, Jared Christian, who's incredibly successful in, in this area and is, is one of the, the uh, uh, leaders of, of putting together PCORIs in, in um, uh, obstructive lung disease and, 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 uh, and is involved in various other multi-center grants that are, that are can involve up to 20 sites, uh, and from discussions with him and others, uh, I can say that a lot of the you know these same general principles apply at least in terms of the, the collaboration interaction. You know, it seems to me that the more sites you have involved, the more important it is to even make sure that you're having that communication and coordination. Um, uh, but the the uh, the potential benefits of being involved with that are just uh, you know are, are are really exciting because it, it allows you to do so much more than you could in an individual institution or a couple of institutions within your local regional area. Um, so those are the kinds of, of resources that that are available. Uh, you know, other funding opportunities include uh, not just uh, federal funding opportunities that have programmatic grants, or you know, not just uh, PCORI uh, type things, but also the Department of Defense has some 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 larger grants. Uh, there are um, organizations such as the AHA, you know, that 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 uh, will have collaborative or, or multi-PI um, type things that can be expanded in such a way that, that uh, uh, people can, can really put together some of these exciting group, exciting programs that involve groups of, of investigators, um, you know, again, moving the field forward in, in, uh, in ways that are very important. So, so we've talked today primarily about, for example, PPGs and T32s because you know, that's, that's been my primary experience in terms of these types of programmatic grants, but um, obviously there's a whole or there's a whole world out there of uh, these very large uh, research uh, structures that involve programmatic themes and multiple uh, principal investigators, and that's really what we're talking about here. It's when you get to that level of your career, and and you want to uh, expand to to doing these potentially synergistic programs with multiple other PIs who are who are established and independent. Um, it, it, it can be incredibly exciting and, and very rewarding. Um, but as we talked about, it's a lot of work, it takes a lot of time. Um, they're very competitive to, to get this type of funding. Um, uh, but, but I think that, uh, uh, again, the payoffs can be you know, inc incredibly um, exciting and, and worth, worth the effort. So, you know, I, I encourage people to get involved when they, when they have these opportunities. Uh, and, and sort of intermediate stepping stone maybe as, as we mentioned earlier, these, these you know, large multi-PI R01s, which in some ways are sort of mini PPGs, or at least um, 
certainly allow you to have the resources and collaborations with other established people beyond what the traditional, you know, one PI independent grant grant uh, could do. So there are a lot of opportunities out there these days for, for putting these kind of program grants together. Um, and uh, I think the, the majority of people who have been involved with them have, have found them to be uh, worth the effort, incredibly rewarding. Yeah, it certainly sounds like, I mean, these are great opportunities for someone who, you know, is kind of entering the the middle portion of their, their career, becoming an uh, independent investigator, but then to really advance their own career and go that next level, um, getting scientific recognition, recognition and, and really advancing their field. I should um, say, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I, that reminds me of an uh, uh, important port in terms of discussing this transition that, that I want to mention. That the NIH, to, to their credit, has uh, recognized that these sorts of vehicles, for example, PPG, can be um, very important in a, a junior physician scientist or, or science, uh, PhD scientist development. Um, in the old days, if you were a project leader on, uh, on PPG um, and you did, were not already R01 funded or not already well established in your area, um, that would be uh, critically reviewed. And, and during the investigator comments of that particular project, it would say, well, this is a junior person. Maybe, you know, are they um, ready for this kind of responsibility? Uh, the NIH now is specifically uh, um, uh, recommending uh, the consideration of including junior people as, as a project leader. Uh, so if you have a PPG with three, four projects, if one of those um, project leaders is a, is a transitional phase investigator, not yet as as uh, well established in the area, uh, that now is encouraged and is, it is not a negative when that grant goes up. I think it's a, uh, a, yeah. a very uh, helpful and, and appropriate decision by the NIH to, 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 uh, uh, to make that change because it does allow people at a, at a somewhat junior stage to get involved in these programmatic grants in a way that, that um, you know, really can help advance their career and, and you know, obviously there are many people at that level, we're doing great science that would fit in really well with uh, a PPG or other type of program. Sure. Sounds like that would be a, a great opportunity. All right. So thanks, Steve. Thank you. Uh, that was like a lot. That was a lot of great information. Uh, really helped give me a good uh, idea of kind of what um, is involved in these, these large grants and how to kind of lay a foundation for those. Um, as we kind of conclude here, I'm wondering what, uh, if you have any final takeaway points of uh, important aspects that, that you think we should focus on? I, I think I'll just end by circling back to how we started, that, um, you know, at first glance, or you start, when you start contemplating these sorts of things, it looks incredibly daunting, um, and it is an enormous amount of work, um, but the, the, uh, the experience that you get from participating in one of these grants and, and, and uh, the potential impact you can have on the scientific field by, by moving forward in such a coordinated, synergistic way is, is uh, incredibly rewarding, and, and I would encourage those with the opportunity to, to consider um, putting together these, kind of, these kinds of programs. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom, Steve, and it was a pleasure talking to you today. Well, thank you, Pat. I enjoyed it. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today as well. This episode of the Lung Science Podcast was, as always, brought to you by the American Journal of Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology. 
If you would like to listen to more episodes of the podcast, please visit atsjournals.org or subscribe to the Lung Science Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.